Welcome to the Civil War Center podcast. Learn about the battles, events, and people that shaped a turning point in American history. I'm your host, Andy Lucian. So, before we get into this podcast, we have a major announcement. We are beginning a Civil War Center roundtable here at the Civil War Center. All meetings will be held virtually via Zoom. Dues are $5 for the year. I will include the link in the description of the episode so you can click it, head over, and get signed up. Our first event will be on December 9th, and it will be with Tom Van Winkle of the Central Virginia's Battlefield Trust. Hope to see you guys then. Hello, everyone. Today we are joined by Darren Rawlings of the UK. Darren is the founder of the American Civil War and UK History page. He's also the co-founder and vice chairman of the Monuments for UK Veterans of the American Civil War Association. Today, Darren joins us to talk about the war from the UK perspective and much more. I hope you enjoy this discussion and learn something about the American Civil War. All right, fantastic. So today we are joined by Darren Rawlings. Uh, How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So you're across the pond, correct? I certainly am. Um, (laughs) Yeah, enjoying life across the pond. But to be honest with you, I'd, I'd rather be living in Virginia if I had the chance. <laughs> well, you are going to get a chance, you were telling me, to see the battlefields here, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I'm coming over this week. Um, well, next week on the Tuesday, I'm flying over. I'm attending the Emergency Civil War Symposium, which is uh, uh, the great what ifs of the Civil War. Um, Gary Adenwin is their guest speaker, so I'm really excited about that. And also, Chris White is going to be there, who I've never met yet. Um, but I'm quite good friends with Chris Mikowski, who, uh, who is the co-founder of Emergency Civil War, and Sarah, who's the editor, the chief editor. So that's good fun. But I'm also meeting up with my good mate, Tyler McGraw, the Unfilled Historian, and another friend of mine, Tim Willing. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Get to see those battles, those battlefields and meet all those people. I'm jealous. Like you're you're making the trip over here. Like we were just talking. I haven't even seen these battlefields, and you live all the way over there, and you're going to get to see them. So, well, it's actually only six months since I was there last. So I did actually travel over in December as well. Um, but that was because COVID kept pushing the trip back. So oh, right. I'm going. I'm coming back for my second dose already after <laughs> six months. Can't get enough of it. I don't blame you. So I know. I love it so much. And um, I mean, Tyler. Um, is very, very knowledgeable on um, Chancellorsville. And to have him with me was something special. Yeah, that's awesome. I took me on the on the Jackson flank march. Um, we started at the uh, biv- bivouac site um, where Lee and Jackson met the night before. Um, so that was pretty cool. But what we did is we concentrated on Fredericksburg 159 on the actual. So I was there on the anniversary um, and we filmed a lot of live content. And we was the only people out filming. There was nobody else commemorating apart from uh, we did meet up with um, uh, Chris later on in the afternoon. Um, And there was two people from the park service at Fredericksburg um, Visitor Centre in Union and Confederate uniform doing something. Um, But we was the only ones out doing anything. We started our day up on Chatham Mansion. Oh, wow. Looking across the Rappahannock. That's it was awesome. a frosty morning, so the frost was laying on the ground. So it was pretty much similar to the to the to the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But the actual battle of, of, of Fredericksburg, that was pretty cool. Had goosebumps. Um 
although we started on Chatham Mansion with with the actual live presentations, we actually did one before that. And Tyler took me out to Slaughter Pen Farm just before we went to Chatham Mansion. So technically, that was the first one. But um, the thing is with um, Slaughter Pen Farm, if you've ever been to Fredericksburg, what you'll find is is that is what the plane would have looked like before they built on it. So if you think of the Battle of Fredericksburg, there's a, the, the, you know, it's all built on now up mm-hmm. until you even get to the wall, you know. Um, but that gave me the perspective of what them guys would have seen that morning before they started that march right. up to that wall. That's awesome. That I talked uh, about two weeks ago, the last episode I put out for listeners, you can go back, but uh, I talked to Tom Van Winkle of the Central Virginia Battlefields Trust. Uh, and we talked about Slaughter Pen Farm and Jackson's Flank March and how they preserve that land. We talked about battle oh, wow, yeah. preservation. It's so important because, like you said, if you can keep that, um, you you visited the states. Have you been to the Alamo? I haven't. No. The Alamo sits in the middle of a shopping center, and it's just mm-hmm. it just kills the. You just lose it. You lose the history. So keeping that is so crucial. Uh, to actually be able to stand and feel like you're you're back in 1862, 63, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was goosebumps, you know? Um, and, uh, I mean, I know Terry quite well. Terry's the executive director of Central Virginia Battlefields Trust, and uh, um, I actually interviewed him recently. But um, then what they do at Central Virginia Battlefields Trust is amazing. I mean, mm. but they, they work in... They work in um, collaboration with American Battlefield Trust as well, but they've saved so many places unreal you know um yeah yeah. and luckily as well on one of the days i was there in december i got taken out by chris mikowski for eight hours out on spotsylvania and chris has literally what written the book on spotsylvania you know so that was pretty special but tyler is also very very knowledgeable about spotsylvania um also other other highlights of that trip were um my first time at Antietam and that was just something well all of it is you know um Mm -hmm. something special just to actually stand there and actually the thing is I always say to people and to understand a battle you have to stand on the ground as you'll never understand it right you can see all the you know all the kinks in the ground all the you know how the land is you know and with Antietam it's pristine it's exactly the same as it was the day the battle happened. So standing there is something. So if you haven't been to Antietam, I would definitely, definitely recommend to your listeners that they go there at some point if they're a Civil War buff. So many even if they're not. There. So many men died. I, I, I can't imagine not yeah. feeling that presence. Well, I mean, so... You know, going back to visiting America, so I did actually visit in 06 and 07 as well. So a long, long time ago. And my main goal was Gettysburg. And I went there and that place has got some feel, got real feel about it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing place. Um, and that was my, I went there twice, you know, um, the first time and the second time. Both times I felt the energy there. But when I went to Antietam and went to the bloody lane, I didn't feel anything. Really? really strange, and 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 you would think you would there, wouldn't you? Right after the carnage that happens there, you see those pictures of those Confederates, you know, laying in that lane. Mm-hmm. You think you'd feel something there? There was no. I didn't feel any energy at all there. Really, it was just peace. You know, it was really weird. 
That is strange. I, I remember when I we were talking and I told you it's been a while since I've been to Gettysburg, but when I was real little, we went on a ghost walk there. Uh, you definitely, you. I've heard the stories of people who see weird stuff there and you definitely can, but I would imagine Antietam would be a place, but I haven't been there personally. So no. I, I got to ask you though, you're taking this trip over here. You've been over quite a few times. Um, you're in England. So what got you interested in the Civil War? Right, so it's, it's really simple. And it is the movie Gettysburg. So in 2004, I was I was gifted the VHS videos of Gettysburg and uh, I watched them and it really just blew me away. You know, I just loved mm -hmm. everything about it. The uniforms. The, the, but the thing is, the thing is with me, I wanted to know more about it. But I've always loved history, you know. So I'm an English. I was an English Civil War reenactor. OK. 18 years. Um, so I was at an English Civil War reenactment when I was gifted these VHS videos. And uh, I know, like, for the younger generation, they're thinking, what the hell is a VHS video? <laughs> <laughs> you got to rewind it before you can watch there it. There <laughs> you go. You got to rewind them and they go wrong and everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, if you, yeah, they get stuck in the video player and everything. It was a, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Nothing, you know, I mean, DVDs now, um, well, no, it's downloads now, isn't it? But, um, or on, on demand or whatever. But yeah, so just, you know, just please understand, younger generation, that it was harder times, you know. But um, yeah, so we, we used to watch, uh, you know, VHS videos. But yeah, that was it. Gettysburg, the movie. Um, so what happens then is I see Gods and Generals, the movie. And the thing is with Gods and Generals, a lot of people don't like it, but I still, I love the movie. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, some, um, I think it's split, you know. Um, some people like it, some people don't. Oh, I love that movie. So seeing that made me want to then go to Fredericksburg, you know? Right. So a couple of years later, we said, I said to my friend, I said, let's just go, you know? So that's what we did, you know? We didn't, I didn't know hardly anything about the Civil War, really. <laughs> you know? I just went, you know? And, and But that sort of spurred me on to learn, want to learn more about it, you know? Yeah, I think if more people who have a slight interest in history... I think sometimes they feel put off by the, the you know, um, how historians can kind of look down on you if you don't, you know, you spell cavalry wrong, maybe, or you pronounce it wrong, or you don't get all the battle tactics right and everything. And I think that can put people off. But I think if more people were willing to just go and willing to learn like you are, I think they might, you can make it come alive and they'd be more interested in it. Yeah, of course. And then the problem is, is um, so obviously coming back from those two trips, um, two years in a row when um, when I didn't go the following year I've really got depressed about it not being able to go firstly but um, what I did is I, I really got into it you know and I, mm -hmm. I I had some prints and some pictures and that that I bought from from my trips and I had them framed and I put them up and then um, fast forward a little bit to 2011 I then met my wife um, and uh, you know you move in together and uh, the civil war literally got put in the loft and literally got put on the back burner and although I still watched stuff you know and 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 it, like if a documentary came on or something or I would still read stuff a lot of it even the books they were in the loft and then it fast forward again and I'll get on to this a little bit later I joined a, a thing called the Southern Skirmish Association which is a reenactment site in the UK um and uh I thought well if I'm going to reenact it I need to obviously when someone asks me a question, I need to obviously want to, I want to know the answer, you mm -hmm. know, I want to be able to give them a proper answer. 
Um, see, thing is, not all reenactors are into the history. You know, some of them are just into it because it's you know what you do. But for me, it was important that I knew the history of it. So all of that, then books came out of the loft, and I, uh, off we go again. You know, and it literally you know it all starts again the passion was always there it just i had to find it again you know yeah i um i had gone to reenactments when i was a kid that was when i mentioned i'd gone to gettysburg and i started reenacting myself about a year ago and that same thing it really got me uh into it again because it's one thing to to watch it it's one thing to stand there and it's one thing to live it yourself um mm -hmm. so how big are reenactments over uh, right so I what i do is i'll tell you a little bit about that so um i'll go into the history of southern skirmish association because it's got quite a long history so southern skirmish association was actually the first reenactment site in the uk it was formed in 1968 and just behind that is um like i was mentioning earlier about the english civil war the sealed knot society the sealed knot society was formed in 1968 too but a little bit later on um, you had found the founding members were Vic Farrer, um, Terry Boniface and Bill ha uh, Hayward. Uh, Bill Hayward is no longer alive. Um, but the heyday of Southern Skirmish Association was in the 1990s. And I think a lot of that was to do with the generation of people um, in that era had sort of grown up on the Westerns. Um, you know, like in the 60s and the 70s, you know, you had like the, the movies like um, John Wayne movies and stuff like that. You know, so by the time they get to the 90s, they and then they see the movie Gettysburg and it was just like a, a massive influx of people wanting to reenact all of a sudden. Uh -huh. um, so um, preparing for this talk the um, the other day when I was at a reenactment, I actually went and met one of the um, uh, the uh, chairmans from the 1990s. And uh, he explained, he was saying to me uh, during the 90s, that, and again, this is quite small compared to what you have in the US, because I know you have massive reenactments there, because I've been told about them. Some of our members have even been over to take part in some of these reenactments, but they had over a thousand reenactors on the field. Um, but today we only have 250 members mm. and you're not going to get all them on the field, you know? Right. I think that's, we do uh, our that's something we see over here. Even uh, we were discussing before this about how, you know, the civil war has, gone down a bit in public perspective and COVID is another thing as well. Uh, it hurt people's turnout, but we've seen a decrease uh, in America as well in people turning out serving enactments. I mean, so for us as a society, we can't do a standalone events anymore. So what we tend to do here in the UK is we go to multi-period events. So you will have a mixture of all different eras. Um, and I've done five so far this season and all of them are like, World War Two, World War One, Crimean, you know, li literally anything you can think of. Very cool. Um, you know, um, our biggest one is one that um, is at the end of August and we have a bank holiday at the end of August here in the UK and it's August bank holiday. Um, we have a one called Military Odyssey and that literally is Romans all the way up to modern day. They even have people from the UN there and stuff like that, you know. Um, but yeah, we're not big anymore, but we we do our best, you know. And the thing is, like you said, pre-pandemic, um, so I joined in 2019 and I joined the 4th US Infantry and uh, we're one of the only regular units we believe in Europe. We're not, I, can't, I can't be 100% certain on that, um, but definitely in the UK, we're the only regular unit. 
um, which is, uh, you know, one of the things that got me into it in the first place. So the pandemic, obviously. So I, like I said, I joined just before the pandemic in 2019. Um, and then I had like a year and a half where I couldn't do anything. <laughs> but in actual fact, they've, they've done me a favour because it allowed me to buy all my equipment and my kit because that was expensive, you know, because right. doing the English Civil War for 18 years, I only ever spent £100 on kit. That's it. <laughs> all you've got to do is look like you just rolled out of the bush, you know. <laughs> Pikeman, you know, so, you, you know, you just look like a mess, you know. Right. Um, but with American Civil War reenacting, you need a rifle, you need a tent, you need, you know, this, that and the other, you know. I needed a frock coat, you know, a proper frock coat because I'm a regular army guy, you know. So we have our dress uniform. I had to get a hardy hat from uh, Dirty Billies in Gettysburg. <laughs> Um, well, I didn't have to get it from there, but, you know, you have to, don't you? But, um, yeah. But then when we came back in 21, um, it was very small. You know, people were very reluctant. And the thing is, we've got a, um, quite a young, an older um, membership, you know, especially mm-hmm. in the Confederate Army in Soskan or Southern Skirm Association. Um, is and, and they were worried, you know, they were worried about coming away and catching COVID or passing it on to their mum or, you know, but I have noticed this season again, it has gone up again. And uh, out of those 250 members, you know, we're still not up to what we were before, but people are slowly coming back. Is there a, uh, at some point in this interview, I'd like to jump back and talk about uh, the perspective from England during the war, but but currently, is there a slant one way or the other? Um, is there more support for the Union, for the Confederate, or is it about... No, I, I mean, from what I come across, it, depend, it depends, you know. I mean, your Civil War buff, like me, is, is, is slap-bang in the middle. Right. And you'll find out with the Round Table, you know, the American Civil War Round Table UK. You know, we just appreciate the history of it. I've not, I've not ever come across that split between. Although, I mean, I think you see that a little bit with inside the reenactment society. But if you're Confederate and you're Union, you just there's that camaraderie between the two of you. You know, but really and truly, we love each other. You know, but like if I turn up to an event, I go, "Oh, look, there's a smelly Confederate Confederates." You know. Or, do you know, even sometimes I'll, I'll blast uh, Lincoln and Liberty full blast on out of my car radio, you know, as I go past their camp, you know, just stuff like that. <laughs> you know? So right. you've got that aspect of it. But as far as I, I don't think there is that there is that view from people. No, I, I just um, I think a lot of it, a lot of people don't actually understand the American Civil War at all, actually, to be honest, in the yeah. UK. Um, yeah. There are but there are a lot that are very interested in it. It's got a big following here. And it is always it has taught over there or much. Sorry. Is it taught over there? Obviously here it's a part of our um, tenth grade. You learn about. No, it. no, it's not taught at all. Um, really and truly the only people teaching it are, are, you know, the people doing podcasts and, and uh, yeah, stuff like that. And the round table, you know, um, I, I've not known it to be taught. No. So it's probably similar to here to your civil war, the English civil war. We don't. Yeah. So the English Civil War doesn't get any time in the classroom at all. Right. You know? And we and, and that actually upsets me a little bit because that is the English Civil War is so important to to the founding of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't realise, you know, without the English Civil Wars or the British Civil Wars, as they should be called, 
because it is actually a series of three wars over, I think it's like a nine-year period or there or thereabouts. But it's not taught in the schools, and I don't understand because it's so important. And also, it's important as far as understanding um, why the Queen hasn't got the power she's got now, mm-hmm. you know, because of the, the the actions of what happens in the English Civil War, the first one, the Queen or the king that sits on the throne of England doesn't have the power they used to have. Right. And, and, and this should be taught and it's not, you know, and, and that is one of the reasons why I started doing what I'm doing is because I wanted to, you know, get that message out there that, mm. you know, this is interesting, but it's also important to the integral part of your country. You know, your hit, your country's history is important. Yeah. That's something we see over here. I mean, History, especially the Civil War nowadays, people, they might know, they know Confederate Union, they know who Robert E. Lee is, maybe who Ulysses S. Grant is, but they couldn't tell you much more about the Civil War. Uh, And it it is a shame because, you know, going beyond the classroom and really learning your history helps us not make those same mistakes. I know that's a cliche, but but it is true and helping understand why the world is the way it is. Uh, And it is something we're missing, which which is a shame. So you see, this is the thing. All, all of these wars, you know, that happen. I mean, even the English Civil War has will have some impact of eventually down the line in the mm-hmm. revolution, and then the civil. You know, it all it all goes into one. You know, right. the same as you know. Look at, I mean, you look at the American Civil War. They start using trenches. You know, during the Petersburg uh, campaign, that that then moves on. You know, then during World War One, you have a similar thing. You know, it's all linked technically. Yeah, it it is interesting as you move throughout the Civil War, because at the beginning, they call Robert E. Lee uh, the king of the Queen of Spades and King of Spades, all these things, Granny Lee, because he's entrenching. And then fast forward to 64 and Grant and Sheldon, they're all entrenching as well. So uh, and then, yeah, fast forward to World War One and you see it taking full, full shape. Yeah, that that really frustrates me when people slate. uh, Robert Lee, you know, um, but like you said at the beginning, they always slated him. They were really worried, weren't they? Like you said, because um, you know they thought he was going to be defensive. And uh, also, um, one thing that's always frustrated me is um, I've had this conversation with Tyler loads of times. Is is they call Grant the butcher, but when you actually look at the statistics, <laughs> it you know uh, it should be the other way around. <laughs> there you go. That's the way the history is written. You know. I think we just had a few listeners click off right there. <laughs> Some of our, our Robert E. Lee fans. I see that argument. I, I wrote an article about it uh, on the Civil War Center website, and I got a lot of pushback. A lot of people saying, no, Grant's a butcher, Grant's a butcher. We talked about TikTok. Uh, same thing. I see it all the time. And it, it's a really hard one to combat is that lost cause. Grant was a butcher. Robert E. Lee was a saint. And obviously, Robert E. Lee was a great general in his own right, but oh, he's amazing. Yeah, don't get me he wrong. wasn't he wasn't perfect. Uh, neither was yeah. Grant, but no, not neither of them was. They both lo- lose a lot of men, but unfortunately, that's war, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not slating, you know, I don't want to upset anyone. I'm not slating Robert Lee because I think he's amazing, you know. Um, but when you look at the statistics, I mean, uh, from when he takes over in the Peninsula campaign to all the way to Antietam, you know. There's a lot of bloodshed, a lot mm-hmm. of lost men, you know. And he's definitely uh, offensive minded. And yeah, if you I think the other thing people people like to only think of Grant and I mean, just like back then, people only focused on the East, right? Lincoln was so frustrated by that. And I think people still have this tendency to focus on the East and they only focus on Grant 
and the Overland campaign, and they see those high casualties. They see cold. They love to point to Cold Harbor, but they forget the fact that the Vicksburg campaign, Henry Donaldson, Chattanooga, how 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 small his losses were in that all those campaigns combined. Yeah, and they just completely gloss over that fact. Thing is, it's a hot, it's a hot topic, which I know today is still, like you said, argued in the in the, the US. You know, is that, you know, that that argument, you know, of who's, you know, the butcher, who's not, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. Um, I, had, I had to light up a cigar in honor of Grant. That's right. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite um, discussions, and me and Tyler have had this discussion loads of times, is how Burnside gets stitched up at Fredericksburg. And I actually feel sorry for the guy, you know. He gets stitched right up, doesn't he? So I mean, you're a Burnside defender? Yeah, I'm a Burnside defender. I'm, I'm not going to defend him at the greater, no. Which is the anniversary today, as we record this podcast. But, you know, Henry Halleck loses. How can you lose the orders for pontoons three times? <laughs> you know, the guy's sitting there at the middle of November. Where are they? He did steal a march on Lee, but... You know what I mean? So if Henry Halleck had not have lost those orders and got the pontoons there, things might have been slightly different. That's true, yeah. You're not yeah. a you're not a hooker defender, are you? No, I won't defend what Hooker did. I mean <laughs> Hooker left his army command, across so. the river. Yeah. That, there's no <laughs> defending that. <laughs> and I mean let, let, let's look at it. Robert Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson have their best day at the office when they decide to split their army. <laughs> they're small army let's say that you know compared to what Hooker's got yeah but Hooker says it himself Joe Hooker loses faith in Joe Hooker <laughs> I love how he talks about himself in the third person there <laughs> yeah you go um, but no I'm not a Hooker defender but I, I do I, I, I do uh, have a soft spot for Burnside um, and feel a little bit sorry for him at Fredericksburg but yeah I know that won't go down very well with some listeners but you know that's my view you know <laughs> That's why, that, that's why you know we all got to have our own views, haven't we? Well, that's that's what I'd like to talk about your view, and it, it sounds like in this discussion here, you talk about Grant's not a butcher. Uh, you can see Burnside um, give him a little bit more fair treatment. It's not taught in school for you. You get you can go out and do your own independent study. Um, so it seems to me that you have less of a slanted view that I think Americans tend to develop. Because of how it's taught, because of what I think so, yeah, yeah, it seems like you have a more balanced. Is that something you come across in general in the UK? Is there a more balanced, fair analysis of the war? Again, I think a lot of it, a lot of people don't know about it really. When you when you actually say, "Oh, I'm into the American Civil War," they look at you a bit funny. <laughs> I don't think they actually re- they don't actually know. To be honest with you, the majority of people they don't. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's. You know, um, I mean, when you go to reenactments, of course, yeah, you know, you've got, you know, all the people that reenact other stuff, you know, they're a bit more knowledgeable about it. But again, there isn't this, there isn't any view on it at all, because I don't think a lot of people understand it. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like that independent study, though, helps give you a less biased view than if you yeah. grew up in the south here, you're definitely going to oh, definitely hundred percent, and that that that's the lost cause writers have done that, haven't they? You know, mm-hmm. and I, and uh, yeah. I don't know how much you see the lost cause coming out over there. Is it prevalent over there, like it is over here? I try and steer clear of that stuff, but um, obviously I've got friends, you know, like I said in Virginia, and uh, 
But again, these guys, you know, um, they are right down the middle. You know, they they like everything about the civil war. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're not on one side or the other. But um, you know, I've had some advice on what you know from a couple of these guys to, you know, tell you no, don't don't bother reading that one or don't bother. You know what I mean? Because that one right. is, is a bit lost causey. You know. But again, I, I I am literally straight down the middle. I just appreciate history, you know. And, uh, I, you know, for me, it's important that people learn the right history, you know, not some made-up stuff, you know. Right. So if you try to steer clear, you've done your own studying of the Civil War. So I got to ask, I want to hear from someone outside of America, what would you say the cause of the war was? Slavery. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I didn't know yeah. if uh, I, I get a yeah. ton of pushback on that. Um. So okay, I, I, I'll give you. I'll, I'll. I'll sort of like add a little bit to my answer for like the listeners. Um. But there, a lot of your listeners will know this anyway. At the end of the day, slavery is the backbone of the Confederate economy. Mm. That's it. That that is you know, and literally every every state that secedes has it in there, you know, or whatever you call it, the, the document that they secede with is that is part of the reason why, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it, there's no two ways about it for me though. And what I try and teach people and tell people a reenactment when they ask me the question is you've got to remember the common um, Confederate soldier didn't even own a slave. Mm-hmm. So you yes, okay, it's about the main cause for me is slavery. But if your friend is living in a town in in you know Georgia and they're going to go and fight in the Civil War, and you don't go, and they went, you're going to get belittled. You're, you you know you have to go. So they all went. They all all their towns, all their villages went to these went to fight in the war because their friend did or because they were trying to impress a girl or, you know, <laughs> other stuff, you know, but they did, right. you know, and, and, uh, so the common soldier has nothing to do with slavery technically, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean in a roundabout way. And some people might disagree with that. Um, you know, it was actually, you know, it was the rich that owned slaves, mm-hmm. but it's the rich that run the country. Right. <laughs> you know, end of the day, you know, yeah, so I always try and point out a common soldier does not own a slave. You know, they're fighting. They might not be okay. They're not fighting for slavery, really. They're fighting. They might be fighting for their town. You know, they might be fighting for their town's pride. You know, but that's you know that's that's the way I view it. You know, I'm somebody else might have a different view. I mean, I don't know what your view on it is. I'd like to know. No, I I agree with you. I, I see that a lot. I see. I'll I'll tell someone on one of my platforms. It's about slavery. No, it's not. My great-great-grandfather fought, and he didn't own any slaves. Okay. The common soldier, like you said, I agree. Most of them didn't fight for slavery. They had family, like you said, pride. Um, When I talked to Dr. Carmichael two episodes, three episodes back, whatever it is, listeners can go back. I don't remember, but we talked about his book, The War for the Common Soldier, Mm -hmm. uh, and how there was technically no common soldier because they all had their own they were brave sometimes. They were cowardice other times. They fought for this reason. They fought for this reason. Everyone's different, right? They're all people. And I, I agree. I think that common soldier necessarily didn't fight for slavery. Um, although there were white Southerners who fought 
who didn't own slaves because they wanted to be a step above African-Americans. They wanted mm -hmm. that white supremacy. Um, oh, yeah. There, there were definitely white Southerners who fought for, you know, like uh, uh, Shelby Foote says in the Ken Burns series, I'm fighting because you're down here. That, so I think you can't equate an individual's no. cause with the overall cause. But I would agree that the overall cause, the powers that be, was slavery. Yeah, of course it was. And again, um, and I'm not condoning what they did, but when you think about the economy, you know, we're talking billions and billions of dollars at the time, you know, and they're being dictated to what you can do. That is why they, they say, do you know what? Why should we do what you tell us, you know? <laughs> Uh, you know, in a roundabout way, you know, <laughs> right. that is, that is the root. I mean, technically the root cause of it is the fact that, you know, they're obviously worried about Lincoln, obviously. Um, but for, as far as I'm aware, Lincoln's quite soft in his approach when he's, you know, running for his first election mm -hmm. on the slavery front. I don't, I, I don't think he delves too deep into it or tries to upset too many people. But the only thing they stand against is it going west. They don't want it going into territories, do they? Mm -hmm. You know, and but again, you know, they are worried about, you know, this president coming in and banning slavery or, you know. Um, for me, though, although I'm not there at the time, there, there probably were other ways around it, maybe. I don't know. But maybe there wasn't. I don't know. Henry but, Clay certainly tried to get around it. You know, there was, I mean, in my view, I mean, I always think to myself, and I've had this conversation with a friend, you know, he's a Civil War buff, and I said, well, why couldn't have they just have freed all the slaves in the South and then just paid them to do their job? You know? And then you wouldn't have, a, but then you would, I suppose, it's, it's complicated, it's a very, very complicated um, discussion, isn't it? But it's a discussion that people need to have, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, there's still issues today surrounding this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know how much you guys get of what's going on over here, um, but it's very prevalent. Dr. Jonathan White and I sat down and talked about Lincoln and his relationship with African-Americans and how prevalent it is today. I mean, we talked about how history connects, why it's important. And it is very important because we're having those same conversations about race, um, class white supremacy that we were having back then, maybe yes. in the 60s. So I think it's important. And I think a big reason is, is that white supremacy, that idea of, I don't want to be less than somebody. So if there's someone below me, even if I'm mm -hmm. very poor, li living in the hills with nothing, I'm not lower than this person. So I think if you give them that equality and you give them that pay, if you give them pay, then how are you not going to give someone rights? Yeah. If you give them equal rights, yeah. and they start doing better than you. So I, I think that, that that's a very good analogy. Yeah, that that, that that's good. Yeah, I like, I, yeah, mm -hmm. I get where you're coming from there. Um, but then also I want to point out as well, a lot of northern soldiers, when they when they you know when the Emancipation Proclamation is 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 put out there, there's a lot of soldiers that desert uh, Union soldiers that desert the Union Army because they say we were not going to fight for this. Right. This is not what we signed up for to fight against this. And you, know, you see, they, they leave in their droves. And that was Lincoln's big fear when uh, Fremont issues his emancipation edict and Lincoln retracts it. Everyone gets mad at him and they say, why are you taking this back? You should because I don't want the Union soldiers to leave. Yeah. If they all leave, we're going to lose the war and it, it doesn't really matter. Then. Of course, then you have, um, you know, you have um, white northerners worried, obviously, that there's going to be an influx of, of uh, you know, um, 
black Americans coming up north and taking their jobs and taking their homes and taking their. So and then you end up seeing, I think you have riots in New York, don't you, between the Irish and 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 uh, and coloured people, you know. So it's it's a deep rooted uh, issue that, again, like you said, is still you know going on today, mm-hmm. and it, and it's a very sad situation, you know. Um, I think the problem is a lot of people don't understand the history behind it, and I think if they actually um, took their time sometimes to read some of this history and look into it in a bit more detail, they might understand it a bit better before they actually fly off the handle and <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we're in the same, we're in the same civil war groups on Facebook. So we see it all the time, how fast people can, can get into arguments oh, about things. And, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, as you know, I, I share a lot of stuff into some of these groups and sometimes it's really hard and I have to bite my tongue because there's some real horrible people out there mm-hmm. and they are, you know, that way inclined still. Of thinking in them in certain ways uh, and I, I don't put up with it I don't like it mm-hmm. okay? um, because again I'm right down the middle you know right oh well, and so we talk a bit about kind of the modern day but if we jump back in time um, we talk about this issue of race in America slavery England before the Civil War has outlawed slavery but they tend to lean towards the Confederacy when the war breaks out. So how is that justified? Well, and how is the Confederacy that. viewed um, at this well, point of time? Firstly, Britain is, is, is the superpower of the time, along with France. And you've got to remember, we are relying on cotton from the South. And this is the thing. This is what's always made me laugh. Okay, we got rid of slavery before America did, or, or whoever, whoever else did, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that cotton is feeding our industrial revolution here in the UK, oh, yeah. you know. And where does that cotton come from? It comes from the southern cotton fields. And so, eighty percent comes from the plantations in the south. Mm-hmm. You know, six hundred million dollars of goods were generated from the cotton factories in Britain. You know, so our our economy is literally tied up in slavery. Technically, you know, and and that's what's always baffled me a little bit. Um, I think what you'll find is, and I've heard Gary Gallagher say this a few times, is you find that there's a lot of sentiment towards the Confederacy from the hierarchy of, you know, government and like the aristocracy of England. Mm-hmm. Whereas the working class were more for emancipation, not emancipation, but more against slavery and more abolitionists, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kind of like, uh, it's something we see similar in the in America. Um, a lot of people like to point to the North and say, well, the North wasn't innocent because they were benefiting from that cotton in the South. So it's kind of a similar thing here with England. England's outlawed slavery, but they're still benefiting it, just like the North was. Yeah, but as well, don't forget, in the North, you still have four border states, which are still slave states. Right. And cotton is coming from those states, too. Mm-hmm. So the North is still benefiting from it. You know, and Lincoln did all he could to keep those. He, that's one of my favorite. I know, and, and that's why they were so important to keep them in the Union. You know, yeah, that's my favorite. One of my favorite Lincoln quotes is, I'd love to have God on my side, but I must have Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, and, right. Uh, you know, you might get a few more people click off now, but Lincoln is one of my heroes, you know. 
That was in history. I wanted to ask you, how is LinkedIn yeah. viewed by you and England and people? Oh, he's massive. So I don't know whether you know, but and, and I have pictures somewhere on my, on my uh, or a video I did on my Facebook page. There is a Lincoln statue in Parliament, Parliament Square. I did not know and that. Not a lot of people know it's there. Um, so I did take some pictures and did a little video a little while back. Um, when I go back again, I will do another one. But it was gifted by um, you guys. Um, it's a cast of, um, so I think it was the nine, early 1900s it was gifted to the UK. There was only two ever made. So they were cast from the original, which is in Chicago, in a park in Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, one was gifted to Mexico. I don't know why. And the other one was gifted to Britain. And it stands in Parliament Square. So um, you have Abraham Lincoln. I think he's standing in front of a chair or something with a book in his hand. Um, literally a stone's throw from where uh, the uh, same monument is of, uh, sorry, a monument of um, Sir Winston Churchill is, you know. And in Parliament Square, you have loads of different, you know, you know, in sort of like in a square, you know. But yeah, so you have a monument for Lincoln. Lincoln is, 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 is well liked in the UK. Because so, yeah, obviously over here, Lincoln is revered. I mean, every year when the presidential rankings come out, he's always won. George Washington, I'm sure, is frustrated from beyond the grave because he can never. Oh, definitely. And, you know, no, I don't really like talking about George Washington, you know. <laughs> um, no, okay, well, since, since we brought yeah. up both of them, I got to. Have yeah. you seen the. No, list? I know. I know he's your hero, but to me, you know, he's a villain. You know, he was a, you know, he turned against the crown, you know. Have you seen the Lincoln film? The Lincoln film, yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's one of my favorite moments is when he yeah. tells that story about. Um, oh, I can't even remember now. I've been so focused on studying the Civil War. Um, the the guy who captured uh, Fort Ticonderoga, Ethan mm-hmm. Allen. Ethan Allen. Ethan Allen goes over to England after the war. Do you remember that scene? Uh, yeah, vaguely. Lincoln's sitting there and he's telling the story. Uh, they're waiting for some correspondence to come in. And he says, Ethan Allen goes over to uh, to England and he's visiting some great lord over there. And he asked to use the water closet and he gets directed to, to it. He said he's relieved, as you might say. And he mm-hmm. goes in there and he sees a portrait of George Washington on the wall. And he comes out, Ethan Allen does his business and, and he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't mention it. And they, they're just waiting and they finally ask him, they say, what do you think about George Washington in the water closet? He goes, I, I think it's great. He says, really? George Washington in the water closet? He goes, yeah, the whole world knows nothing makes an Englishman shit faster than the sight of yes. George Washington. <laughs> it I might not that. be as funny to you guys, but <laughs> yeah. I always like that part of the film. So, um, me, yeah, sorry, me and Tyler have a lot of banter about the revolution. <laughs> well, I would love to go into depth about that. Um, maybe on another one. If I join you guys, I'd love to talk. Oh, about definitely. We talk about that on field conversations. So, so that's something that I wanted to ask you too. Is that the revolution is much different um, to Americans than to Britons? And does that factor in at all to uh, sympathy for the Confederacy, or is it strictly more just uh, economic at that point? No, I don't think so. I think it's all economical. To be honest, again, we, we're this superpower at the time. Right. And all you care about is money, you know, <laughs> status. You know, the sun never I mean, set the British Empire. We got our own back. We burnt your White House down in 18. <laughs> um, yeah. Before I get that little dig in. Anyway. 
That's <laughs> only fair yeah. after I told Ethan out. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I love it. I love the banter, though. That's what I love. The thing is, for me, it will never be serious. It's just a laugh, you know. Right. I have a lot of respect for George Washington and, and you know, your, you know America. I love that. I love America. Again, I'd live there tomorrow, you know. I'd probably get hints for some of the stuff I said about Robert Lee, but we got each other's back in the world war. So, so I feel yeah, like we got the rest of it behind us. We came to each other's aid. You came to our aid in the end, didn't you? Right. It took you two years to join in, but you know, we got you there. <laughs> I know it's, it's funny. I'm a high school teacher. So when I teach my kids about world war one and, and world war two, they think that America's like the whole story. I'm like, we're not really going to talk about America, no. especially with world war one. I'm like, we come in at the last hour. So yeah, we don't do as much as the European. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you didn't, we probably would have been effed. But there you go. Well, it's not your guys' fault as much as, especially World War no. II. It's more France and, and the mainland of Europe because you guys held out. So, yeah, uh, luckily only because we're separated by in, uh, the English Channel. And also, Hitler is, uh, uh, um, you know, obsessed with um, taking the East back. So that helps us out a little bit. Right. Yeah. He's focused on, on yeah. Russia. The, there's one of those things you never want to invade. You never want to invade Russia. But Britain's another one. You can't really invade Britain because, like you said, the English Channel makes it hard. But saying that, we have been invaded many times, many times. And just down the road from me, I have a, um, the second invasion of uh, a place called Richborough Roman Fort, the second invasion of Britain. That's where the Romans landed. You know? cool. So the Romans have done it. The Normans have done it. There's but quite a few shows out with, now about it. Yeah. And they did it with boats, you know, with sails, you know. Yet right. Hitler can't do it with a mechanical army. <laughs> the Luftwaffe can't even do yeah. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? What right. the hell? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's fascinating because um, the perspective is just you you have a very unbiased perspective, and it's something that's very difficult to come across over here. Um, just today we were talking about TikTok and I get all these Southerners on there who say the South will rise again. And the Northerners are like, ha ha, you guys lost. And, and they fight about it. And it's, it's interesting, but it's refreshing to hear someone who can look at it. Um, who's not tied into either side. Um, you know, you don't have any dogs in the fight. As we say, you have an unbiased perspective. And I think that's refreshing and it, it gives a different perspective. I hope the listeners can take that away. Uh, but again, as a historian, I think you have to have that view, don't you? Mm-hmm. you know, so you're, you're probably the same, you know, as a historian, you have to have that unbiased view. Right. You know, but, you know, one thing I've always loved about American Civil War is the characters. Mm-hmm. You are not going to find any any other war with this amount of characters. So who I are mean, some of your favorite? I've got loads. Um, you know, but the cat, like you just couldn't write some of this stuff, could you? You know, like so recently, I've been listening to another lecture series on the teaching course, and it's uh, Robert E. Lee's uh, High Command or something. It's called, mm-hmm. and and you just wouldn't believe some of the, you know, I mean, you know, some of these guys. I mean, Jackson is a right oddball, you know? Right. <laughs> sucking on the lemons. <laughs> yeah, sucking on lemons, holding his hand up in the air. You know? <laughs> um, I, I don't really actually have a favourite general. It's really strange. I, d- I just don't. I'm biased. Like I said, I'm from Ohio. I don't know how well you can see behind me. I, got I, I, can, I can see you. I can see you. You're, uh, you're, um, you put your 1776 up. <laughs> that was on purpose, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, I got well. If you can see up higher, I got all my grant stuff, so I'm a big grant. I can guy. see you a grant, Matt. I am definitely a grant 
fanboy. I will say that he's from my home state. I, I got to represent. Yeah. So. Um, he he is just hardcore. You know, he's the guy that gets the job done, isn't he? He does what McClellan. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to that butcher, I, I think ha- being in that position, whether you're Lee, you're Hooker, Burnside, you know, any of these guys, we could go down the list. I don't. I think it's easy to sit there and play armchair general and say, I would do this, I would do that, I would have moved this brigade here. But to have the stomach to send out 10,000 men and maybe only half of them come back, I think is something that not many of them had, and Grant had it. And I think and unfortunately, someone had to make those awful decisions, you know, and live with it for us. You had to get the job done, you know, because how else was it going to end? And they're not just going to sit around the table and shake each other's hands. Well, and we, we mentioned World War II. It's kind of that decision that they had to make. Do we drop a bomb and end the war or do we mm-hmm. risk another million lives? Exactly. I don't know what the ethical I don't know if there's an ethical answer to that, but it's a yeah. decision that has to be made at the end of the day. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that's one one thing I'm really quite interested in myself is that that aspect of it. I mean, you look at how many men they lose trying to take Hiroshima mm-hmm. or whether it is. Sorry, what's that island called? Yeah. Iwo Jima. The, the, yeah, that is it. Yeah. So that is just a little island. So, you know, I, I don't think you guys, ha- we had any choice but to drop a nuclear bomb on them mm-hmm. to end the war, because for me. You, you you could have sent millions and millions of Americans. You'd have lost millions and mi- millions of American lives trying to take Japan. You you know what I mean? It was impossible. Yeah, if you look at, I, I think it. I, I don't want to be quoted on this because I don't know the exact year, but it was sometime in like 1952 or something. I think the last Japanese soldier in the caves actually surrendered. Yeah, that's I, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that will to fight. If you're you're going into mm-hmm. a mainland trying to occupy. The amount of guerrilla warfare and resistance you would see would be impossible. But um, again, you know, like, so you're saying about, have you got any favourite generals? Not not really, technically. Uh, I would say, obviously, Grant. But, yeah, um, there there isn't anyone, really. I I, I just like them all, you know. I just like their characters, you know. I mean, look at Nathan Bedford Forrest. What a character, you know. The guy has the guts to walk into... Um, Braxton Bragg's tent and threaten him and then walk out and still, <laughs> yeah. and still you know anybody else that w- would have done that would have been court-martialed and probably you know I don't know kicked out of the army right but, you know, this guy's got the balls to go in there and do stuff like that you know Jeb Stewart's got his like feather in his hat he's riding yeah. around um, the army then you look at Antietam like who cut you know who saves the Confederate army you know it's like a Hollywood movie you right. know that the Confederate, uh, you know, Burnside goes up over the bridge and they're just about to, you know, give him a good stiff defeat, you know, which I know they technically, they, you know, lose the Battle of Antietam, technically. But mm-hmm. then uh, is it Jubal Early turns up or whoever it is turns up at the last minute? Yeah. You know, it's like a Hollywood movie, you know? <laughs> or like uh, Longstreet showing up in the Overland campaign. At the exactly. Last See, that's one thing that upsets me about um, the Lost Call stuff is 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 um, how badly Longstreet was treated after the war. Mm-hmm. Longstreet deserves a lot more respect and a lot more admiration than what he gets. Right. And uh, literally, I mean, Jackson gets his, you know, gets wounded and he gets a spot, you know, a really big spot out in the battlefield. And and uh, I know he later dies at um, Guinea Station. But then uh, Longstreet gets wounded and he all he gets is a little monument with a 30-second parking spot. <laughs> you know, 
it is fascinating. And that's something I think Gettysburg did a good job of in the movie. I think that's why people tend to like Gettysburg more than the uh, gods and generals is gods and generals drifts a little bit into that lost cause, but Gettysburg really yeah, okay. makes Longstreet out to be the hero, as does the book. Have you read The Killer Angels? Uh, I've listened to it, yes, as an audio, yeah. Yeah, that's the same kind of thing. They make Longstreet out to be the yeah. hero. And I don't think it's fair to totally say Robert E. Lee was an idiot for Pickett. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely but, not. But I do think Longstreet, because I think Longstreet retroactively has gotten more than he deserves, but he definitely does deserve to be... Uh, you know, reanalyzed re and, and, you know, he, oh, definitely. I think he definitely needs, you know, to be re-looked at because he's an amazing general. I will say this. I don't have any sympathy for him when it comes to Gersberg. He, dra he does drag his feet because he mm -hmm. doesn't want to do what he's been asked to do. But one thing you've got to remember about Lee, when he gives an officer an order that is open to mm -hmm. do what they want to do. So when he gives him that order at Gettysburg, he's not, you know, he's saying, right, you go around and attack the uh, the Union's left. He could have, if he wanted to, he could have marched a little bit further left, mm -hmm. his army, if he wanted to, because that's what Lee did. He always expected his officers to to do what they wanted to do within the confines of, of the orders, if you know what I mean. Right. And, you know, Longstreet does drag his heels at Gettysburg. But also, I'm not going to criticise Lee for... I don't think anyone should criticise Lee for, for Pickett's charge, really, either. Because when you, look at, when you look at it, we're not there. Like you said, we can play armchair general all day. We know what happens. But on the day, Robert Lee doesn't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, OK, full frontal attacks never work. You know, you just look at Fredericksburg. It's in reverse, isn't it? Gettysburg, Pickett's charge. But at the same time, I think Robert Lee actually believes that he's bashed them on each side enough that they're weak enough in the middle when he sends that charge. Why else would he do that? You know, right. why else would he order that? And we talked about not bashing a general too much. I mean, we see Lee, I mean, sorry, Grant does it. Um, Sherman does it. Obviously, it works at Chattanooga, but uh, most of the time throughout the war, it doesn't work. And all the generals are guilty of that sin of ordering a frontal assault. I mean, they were all raised in Napoleonic tactics. Exactly. And they don't work. When you've got a gun that, or, or a rifle that shoots five to 600 yards and you're fighting shoulder to shoulder, it's not going to work. But then we don't learn anything when we get to World War One either. <laughs> right. So, so it, you know, I mean, look at the casualties there. Mm -hmm. I mean, half the guys that go over the top don't even have a loaded gun because they know they're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's awful, and, and, and that's the thing with war, you know. It's an awful business. Well, it's war as hell, like Sherman said. So. There you go. <laughs> um, anyway, um, one thing I would like to bring up is the American Civil War Roundtable UK. It's got a very interesting little history. Now, so I was at a dedication last weekend uh, for, for a Civil War soldier because uh, anyone that follows me or, or sees me knows that I'm involved in, a, in the early stage of a charity, we're trying to get a charity going over here called, uh, um, oh, hang on, what's it called? A Monuments for UK Veterans of the American Civil War Association. It's such a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> Especially when you've got to remember your other podcast name and everything. <laughs> but anyway, I met my um, chair, the chairman was there um, last, last week. And I said to him, look, I'm going on this podcast. And I said, I need to know a little bit of history of the uh, round table. And he sent me this thing the other day. It's really interesting. Now the American civil war round table UK um, 
So following a re reissue of the classic movie Gone with the Wind in 1953, a group of friends living in the Portsmouth area, sharing a common interest in the American Civil War, formed the Confederate Research Club. Right. So it wasn't called the American Civil War Roundtable UK. It actually started out as a Confederate Research Club. Can you believe that? No, that's fascinating. So there you go. Right now, um, there was a couple of founders. Um, but then two years later, it saw a rapid increase in membership nationwide. And in 1956, a meeting was held for the first time in London. Now, I've been in the round table um, about a year and a half now. Um, and I've only ever been up to the meeting in London once. But every other month they have like a presentation at the round. Uh, the, um, um, I can't remember what it's called, the Met Club or something in London. It's like literally in central London. And they've been having their meetings there since then, I think, mm -hmm. you know, so that's real privilege to do that. But anyway, that's cool. Um, but anyway, that's their first one. And then obviously becomes a regular thing. But as they approached the centenary of the war, an official organization was set up in the US to advise and coordinate and plan many commemorative events that were to take place. And the Confederate Research Club, as it was known, was invited to be represented on the Civil War um, Centennial Commission. But they decided, let's not stick with the name, let's change it. And that's when you end up getting it called American Civil War Roundtable UK. Very and now this is the really cool thing. They claim that American Civil War Roundtable UK is one of the oldest in existence of roundtables in the world. Including the United States? Including the United States. Very now, I'm not 100 percent. And, and again, my, my president, Mike, he said, we're not 100 percent sure on that. I don't know whether anyone's done the research and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But we're not claiming to be the oldest. We're claiming to be one of the oldest. Mm -hmm. And even like you said, some of your roundtables in America, now some of your roundtables in America might claim to be the old. I don't know because I've not looked into it. But I find that really fascinating that the Roundtable UK you know, is formed in 1953. It's one of the oldest. I can't, couldn't get my head around it when when he told me that. You know, right? And, and it's fascinating that where it didn't even take place, you get roundtables, and it's still around. So, what do you guys do today? Is it something that people in the United States could like, you know, zoom into and and listen to? Do you guys? Do yeah. So, the American Civil War Roundtable UK have an amazing website. They also um, are open to members from anywhere in the world. And all of the presentations, whether it be in London, are all on Zoom now. So yeah. that is one thing that COVID has changed, you know, it's changed the way we do stuff, you know. So even if the presentation is in London, it will go out on Zoom. Um, when it's in London, they do they do charge a small fee. Because remember, it's a charitable organization and mm -hmm. these, you know, some venues have to be paid sometimes bits and bobs, you know, so we can do this stuff. Um, so they, they charge a small fee, but you can watch it in America, in Japan, wherever you want. And you uh, can become a member of the American Civil War Roundtable UK. You don't have to be in the UK. Or you um, can we, just take a trip to London because that's a good excuse. Or you could take a trip to London. <laughs> but, but the thing is also we do have a conference every year as well, just like most roundtables. Um, and the one we had this year, we have three great speakers from the US. And apparently, Mike has told me they're queuing up to come over from the US to speak at the London Roundtable. 
you know, American Civil War Roundtable UK. They, 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 everyone wants to speak at the American Civil War Roundtable UK. Um, we, we, we actually had uh, um, our conference this year was um, Trans Mississippi, which a lot of people don't don't touch on either. You know, that was quite mm -hmm. interesting to do something different. Wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but you know. One of my favorite things about the Trans-Mississippi, I was just writing, uh, I've been putting out a series of Vicksburg articles, and I was just writing one. And the Confederacy, they had a Trans-Mississippi department, and then they had, like, the eastern side of the Mississippi, but no one was actually in command of the Mississippi itself. There was no commander in charge of that. They divided it on the Mississippi and left it, which I thought was fascinating. I didn't know that. But, but uh, yeah, the Trans-Mississippi is definitely for the more... Uh, it's not for the faint of heart when it comes to studying the Civil War. No, and uh, but some of the talks were great. You know, we had like Kirby Smith and you know uh, Honey Springs and all all that sort of stuff. But yeah, we had some great speakers. So uh, yeah, they were amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I I would encourage anyone listening to to join. I mean, that is like you said, one of the things about COVID. School doing school over Zoom was terrible because all the kids slept. Yeah, that's having like the access to do. You know, to listen to a speaker in London talk about the Civil War is is one of the benefits of it. So, yeah. And again, one of the reasons why I start American Civil War and UK History, my my page and my my podcast is because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Because I was reading all the all the information about the Civil War, but because I wasn't reenacting, I had no one to share it with. And right. I thought I need I need to get this out. You know, I need to talk to someone about it. I'm going crazy. I'm going to talk to the wall <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> one of the reasons why I started my podcast in the first place. Yes, tell us but a bit about that. Yeah, so again, so I started that in 2020. And again, I was so bored. <laughs> and I was watching stuff on the, you know, YouTube. And I thought, I could do that. Let's have a go, you know. And uh, Chris Mikowski was kind enough to, to be my first interview. Uh, originally, it was only supposed to go into a private group, which is not a private group anymore. So the group that I run, uh, Unfiltered American Civil War UK History, was actually a private little group just for our, my uh, reenacted in buddies. I posted that video into that and they, I got a good response and I thought, this is too good. I need to share this. And that's when the YouTube channel was born, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, in, later on in, uh, in 21, sort of like in January 21, that's when I started thinking right i'll do a video and take the audio and put it on as a podcast you know yeah. but it's because i want to talk about the civil war because i've got no one to talk to about it you know at the time it was literally we was in lockdown all the time you know right so yeah, yeah i encourage listeners to check that out as well um if they want to learn more about uh what you do more about the civil war um it's not just the civil war right you go into other topics as well well, so again, I'll bring this up now. So what happened was, is last July, I was invited to a dedication in the UK of a Civil War soldier, American Civil War, British American Civil War soldier. And I just jumped at the chance to go. I contacted Chris of Emergency Civil War, Mikowski, and I said, mate, this is an amazing opportunity. Can I do a little video? But I'll do it on behalf of Emergency Civil War. And he said, yeah, no problem. So I did a little video on the dedication the, the dedication was for a guy called George William Denham. And the lady who was doing the dedication is her name is Gina. Um, and she is the great, great granddaughter of this guy. OK, so he's got an amazing story. I'm not going to go deep into his story because it's a very long one. But he ends up in the American Civil War. He goes and fights at Lookout Mountain. 
he's uh you know he's in hooker's army actually that go out west you know to chattanooga he's in the in the battle of the clouds and all that he come he then ends up in mobile bay he comes back to england sometime after the civil war settles in london and an organization is set up called the london branch of union veterans and the idea of that branch was to help them get their pensions because a lot of these guys had enlisted but they couldn't get their pensions because a lot of them actually had listed in in different names, you know, because they were probably escaping stuff from England, going over to America a few years to try and escape whatever they was escaping. It might be in a woman, it might have been money issues, it might be, you know, it might have, I don't know, a crime, whatever. Right. You know, they're fighting a the civil war, but they, they want their pets. So this organization is set up. Um, Ensign John Davis is called the guy that sets it up and helps and gets. So anyway, we dedicated him in July last year. And over time, I got to know Gina a bit better. And at the end of the Emerging Civil War video I did, she says, to be continued. Because there was, in, in this cemetery in North London, there were seven more American Civil War veterans without our headstone. And you can get a headstone free from the US government, sent over, like George's. So... We've decided, yeah, so we've decided to start a charity called Monuments for UK Veterans of the American Civil War. And our aim is to get all of these guys, guys' headstones. Is there a way uh, that listeners can support that? Yes. I'll, 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 there, there, is, there is a Just Giving page, um, but we also have Facebook page and everything. Okay, I'll make um, sure I link that in the Yeah, cool. And, and some of the videos that I've shot recently um, – of the dedication because we actually streamed the dedication live last saturday on on our facebook page um i put them on my youtube channel because there's no point having two youtube channels um it takes so long to get subscribers it's just it's painstaking so i said let's have a a playlist in 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 my thingy it's just easier so that all the videos are there you know um yeah so our goal is to get all these guys headstones um but our main goal is to get a monument. So we've got permission from this cemetery in North London, Islington St Pancras Cemetery in North London, to have a central monument for all American Civil War veterans. And that is what we're raising money towards. Um, so far, we're halfway there. We even have a guy in Chicago, which is casting the plaque, which is going to go on this monument. Very it's amazing. Amazing. If you go on our page, you'll find and see all the stuff and all the work that's going on. Um, eventually, in probably about two years' time, we're going to have a massive unveiling of this this central. Um, we're going to have time capsule inside, you know. Um, awesome. That You know, for, for us, um, obviously, we've been having like a debate over, you know, because obviously, what's it stand for? Does it stand for the Union? Does it stand for Confederate? Does it stand mm-hmm. for this? Does it stand for that? And mine and Gina's view is, if you, regardless whether you fought in the Civil War, what side, that monument represents every single person that fought and died in or, or came home and, and was in the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. And if you want to go to that monument and, you know, you had a great, great grandfather that fought in the Confederacy and you want to commemorate him, that's up to you. Right. That's that. That's what we're going to do. So, um the, the actual plaque that's going on the front is going to have um, um, faces on. We have uh, um, we we have one representing Union and Confederate, 
but they're going to be really plain. You know, it's going to be plain. We're going to have a, uh, we're actually going to have a woman in the middle because women were very heavily involved in the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, in all sorts of in all wars, you know, people forget about the women. And then on 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 one of the sides, we're going to have a coloured guy in a, a naval uniform very to cool. represent not just the navy, but the you know coloured uh, the coloured troops that also and and you know coloured men women that died in the Civil War. You know, so it's like a bit of everything, you know. It's, but um, it's cool that it's going from Chicago and all over the states. Yeah, over there. I mean, that's just. That's a, a monumental effort. No, no pun intended. No, no. But again, Gene, Gene the reason that it, the reason it's um, the guy from Chicago is doing the uh, the casting is because Gina went and um, just this year, sorry, she she went in the footsteps of George Denham. So she went to Lookout Mountain. She went here, there, and everywhere. Um, but she wanted to go and visit another a British American Civil War veteran, which is buried in Chicago. Um. And she contacted some local groups, and that is where she met this guy. And uh, yeah, so he's going to do that for us. That's incredible. It's just an amazing thing. It, it really is, honestly. And people always say, "Well, why are Britain? Why are British people interested in the Civil War? What's your interest?" Well, over fifty thousand British citizens served in various capacities, capacities, sorry, in the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know? so that is why you know and again that is uh, you know again it's so important to us and also the other day literally three days ago so i asked gina because obviously i'm coming over to america in a couple of days i asked her to find me a british um veteran in gettysburg cemetery and one in fredericksburg and she's found one in gettysburg for me so i'm going to go and visit his grave awesome with a little british flag a little american flag put a penny on the top you know uh-huh. the grave stuff like that. But she's also found one in my hometown of Folkestone, buried up the road in a cemetery. So I'm going to have to start investigating. And if he hasn't got a headstone, guess what, everyone? He's going to get one. (laughs) Yeah, well, I encourage everyone to support this because this is an amazing effort and something that needs to be done to honor the soldiers who did give their lives. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a noble cause, and I'll make sure I put all the links. You can send yeah, them, them yeah. all in the description, so everyone can just you can scroll down and click on it when you're listening to the episode. But yeah, fantastic. I'm, I'm, well, is there a way that listeners can obviously? There's those ways they can support you. Is there ways they can reach out to you or support what you do? Yeah, so I'm I'm very open. You know, I mean, obviously my pages all have messenger. You know, people message me, I do answer. You know, um, you know, I try and always like if somebody comments on on a post i always try and like it you know mm-hmm. um just if you want to reach out to me i'm very easily easily accessible um you know i have an email address um and and everything you know which again i'll give to you to to put up in the links mm-hmm. yeah um, I'm, I'm very up. accessible i'm very friendly and i will talk to anyone basically as long as you're going to be talk to me uh you know sensibly <laughs> let's not have no one let's not debate him on the american revolution let's <laughs> Yeah, the Civil no, War. but again, we do. I do love the banter with that. I mean, Tyler's always saying that he's going to put tea in the Rappahannock, but I now <laughs> said to him, "Mate, it's already tea-coloured anyway. You wouldn't notice." <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, at least you can uh, be lighthearted about it. So, yeah, yeah. We'll but again, I'm just passionate about what I do, you know, and I'm just passionate about this, this, you know, history in general. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I just want people to, I want to share that with people, you know? Yeah, that's, it's so important. And I think sometimes when you go through school and, you know, I don't think many of us like to go through school, but if you can, get no, I didn't. It, if you can go through it. I know I tell my students that they're like, you must have loved school, right? Like, no, I hated school actually, even though I teach now, but if you can get past that and then learn to, to want to learn about history, I think it's so crucial and I think it, like you said, it could solve a lot of our problems if we go back and analyze the things that went on. And I mean, I'll point out I'm dyslexic, you know, um, reading and writing was hard for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I thank, thankfully nowadays with Audible and stuff like that, it's opened up a little bit more of a world to me, you know. But right. before, I mean, I, I, I just haven't got the attention span to sit there and read a massive book. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so having things like Audible and podcasts and that has really helped me as a historian as well, though. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the other great things about technology. It does make history more accessible and it makes it come alive. Uh, talked about World War One and World War Two a bit. I showed my kids um, 1917, I think is what it was called, the movie that came out a few years it's ago. Fantastic movie, yeah. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, it it really makes it come alive. If you can't get there in person, I would love to go to Normandy. Haven't been able to do it yet. I will at some point. But if you can't be there, films are the next best thing. Listening to books, even if you, I mean, yeah, I don't have the attention span sometimes to sit down and read. I'm reading The Battle Cry of Freedom right now. It's like a thousand pages. So it takes yeah. a lot of effort. But yeah, that technology does make history much more accessible. Podcasts are another great one. So yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. It's been a great no conversation. I really appreciate you having me on because, again, you know, the shoe was on the other foot today and, uh, <laughs> I'm really concerned I've upset people that love Robert E. Lee now. I just want to <laughs> let everyone know I absolutely love the guy and nothing against him. That's okay. They're probably already upset with me because I tend to lean towards Grant. So it's nothing new. So Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this discussion with Darren Rawlings. I hope you learned something about the war from the UK perspective. I also hope you'll join us next week as we sit down with Theodore Savis to talk about his Civil War publishing company, Savis Beatty. As always, please like, subscribe, and share, and leave a review. Also, head to thecivilwarcenter.com to learn more, and please consider signing up for our new Civil War Roundtable. Dues are $5 for the year, and the first event will be held on December 9th. We'll see you then.